you to stand as we take our morning offering. Turn to uh, Luke 2, verses 1 through 21. Luke 2, 1 through 21. And here's what God's word says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and lied him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Please be seated. Thank you, Lord, our God, for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that helps us as we read your word that enlightens us, that convicts us, that encourages us. We thank you for your presence with us here today through your Holy Spirit, and we pray for help and uh, everything good that will happen uh, as we interact with your sacred text. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's good to be here this morning. I wrote in my notes to say Merry Christmas, but I think we've said that a, a lot of times, and I hope it's a Merry Christmas. Merry Christ Mass uh, is, is where the word comes from, and, and we think about Christ, and we think about our worship service today. It is good to be in church with you on this Christmas morning, contemplating the Christmas story. This passage is so familiar to us that it might be easy to miss the forest for the trees, even as we hear it. Um, I wish it was as familiar to the rest of the world as it is to those of us who grew up in churches. 
because I'm telling you, it's missing out there. It's missing. Uh, there are people, um, it's not, not, not in the notes, uh, but there are people, I read a, um, uh, a, a prayer letter from a church plant in the next county over from us. And he talked about the statistics of people who are uh, professing evangelicals. And in that county, and I imagine it's a little higher perhaps here in, in, in Fairfield County, but maybe not much, but 1.8% of, of the populace attends any kind of an evangelical church, meaning any kind of a church that, that, that just has the basics, not reformed, but just the basics of Jesus Christ is the Son of God, uh, born to die to save his people from their sins. 1.8% are even affiliated with any evangelical church. Now, if you look at missiology, missions, the study of missions, and people that got together, they consider 2% to be, uh, if it's less than 2% in the culture, that's what has always been considered an unreached people group. You are Christians living in what has traditionally been considered an unreached people group. And there are people growing up, little children growing up in homes around us that have no idea, no idea at all of what Christmas is and about baby Jesus and anything. They know there might be something because maybe there's some residue sticking around, but it is rapidly going the other way. And we have a job to do to share the gospel, the truth as we know the truth to be in a culture like this. You are privileged to live where you live and be Christians in the time that you are Christians. And pray like crazy, love like crazy, have conversations and, and, and pray and we'll, we'll see what the Lord does. But the time is ripe. The, the, the laborers uh, truly are uh, uh, needed and the fields are truly white for harvest. And so we get to look at this passage this morning, maybe familiar to us, but not so familiar to the world around us. And I hope that we get to see the forest for the trees ourselves this morning. Uh, four categories this morning, followed by a special application for us. And so the sermon to follow looks like this, but one through four. Uh, one, divine orchestration. Two, human adaptation. Three, angelic annunciation. Four, human adoration. First, in verses one through five, divine orchestration. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And here comes government doing something. Here comes the people in charge saying this is the edict and, and the rest of, of the people then adapting to what a king issued. Uh, that's familiar to us because that's the story of history. And people do things and we respond in kind. And it's not bad at all uh, who ordained kings and governments. So we're not saying every time a government says something, it's bad. In this case, God orchestrated this edict to go out because the prophecy was there that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. As John read this morning, Micah 5, 2, 
But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Uh, another account of Jesus' birth, the one that talks about the wise men and, and includes Joseph more. This is Matthew's account, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 2, 3 through 5. Uh, the, 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 the wise men came and they said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Herod didn't know his scripture, but he knew people who knew scripture. He goes, well, where, where is he supposed to be born? And they quoted this. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Understand that all these big things that go on, these headlines we see in the news, things that we on our level don't control but have to respond to, um, there is a higher king and a higher government that orchestrate the, these things. So if you're frustrated with government, <laughs> you're frustrated, well, understand that, that they are not the final word, that God is, is, the, is the king behind every king. And God puts the details together. Governments, bosses at work, self-important people, even the weather, all of it, are really tools that God uses to accomplish God's work. And we can smile then instead of being um, um, maybe not so, not so inclined to smile as, as sometimes we are when things happen. There's a reason for the big events and the small events, and all things are in God's hand. And Mary's pregnant. She's two weeks from giving birth. And Joseph's got to go to Bethlehem, and she had to go too. And that's no easy ride. And all of these things, and man, if they had just made this edict at a different time, if things had happened differently. Uh, but no, this is God's orchestration of events. So look at things and look at our world situation, um, uh, not from, from the human eyes, but look at it from a, a divine perspective. And we see God being capable God is not just up there sitting, waiting for ideas. He's not saying, boy, I sure hope that, that, uh, that Caesar Augustus would do this, and then I could work it so that Jesus, how am I going to get married to, to Bethlehem uh, so Jesus could be born there and fulfill the prophecies and, and all of these things? He wasn't just waiting and saying, oh, boy, it's our lucky day. It's our lucky day, this edict. That's what we'll use. God's not up there trying to make his own luck. No such thing as luck. God is up there being the God of the universe, working all things for his good. And so we see that God is big. How big is God? God is big enough to make a plan that is perfect and big enough to work it out. One of my favorite quotes from history uh, that, that some of you who have been here a while have heard too much, but, but the man said, there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which whether we like it or not demands our attention. And there's something unseen. There's something good unseen because it comes from a good God. Another man used to say this all the time, and, and I agreed with this statement. God is sovereign, and you can trust him. 
So we see in these first five verses the divine orchestration of events. But this passage pings back and forth from the divine to the human, divine to the human. Now look at the human adaptation to these events. Verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for Mary to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Boy, your wife is two weeks from giving birth. You've got to go down and rent a car because you've got a long journey to take. You find, you say, I'll spend a little bit more and I'll get the comfortable car. I'll get maybe a reclining seat in the back. Maybe she needs to lay down and we can, we can find a way. We've got to get here to there. And you find your comfortable way to get there. And you take care of that wife who's two weeks from birth. I, I've never experienced that, obviously. But some of you that have, that's an uncomfortable time. I hear these women talk with each other. Well, it's better to give birth in the wintertime because, boy, in the summer it's so hot. And boy, it's, you know, and in different pregnancies and different, and, and uh, women get together and compare these stories like uh, men get together and compare fish stories or something like that. But they talk about these things. And, and, and I was here, and, and you, hear, you hear this, and you say, two weeks on a donkey, two weeks from birth, these 80 miles riding, that's, we talked about this in Sunday school a couple weeks ago. That's like getting on a donkey and riding from here into the heart of New York City. I don't even like to do that in a car sometimes. But on a, on a donkey, pregnant, uh, there's no rest stop on the way, no, no time to stop and do your text, no, no bathrooms on the way, none of that. Uh, think of what that woman went through, pregnant, getting down there. And yet... People do things all the time. We adapt. The, the resilience of the human spirit. We do what has to be done. Uh, you can't say, I wish that this had never happened. Can't be like the man who had the hole in his roof and, and he didn't fix it because it wasn't raining. And then when it was raining, he couldn't fix it because it was raining. Uh, and you don't put things off. You just do. You do what you have to do. Roll up your, your sleeves. You do. It's got to be done, so it's done. And you look through history and people have done this. Mary's pregnant, going to have the baby. So she had the baby. Pretty matter of fact in the way it describes it. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Water broke, time for, time for the birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Okay, millions have done this before her, millions and billions more after her. Doesn't say how long she was in labor. Doesn't say how much Jesus weighed. How much do you think Jesus weighed? Was he a big baby? How much was the average for those days? How long? You know, sometimes I, I would come, I would call Paul, and I'd say, well, so-and-so had her baby. Um, all I can remember is boy or girl, sometimes maybe the name, and then I'm getting asked the questions, well, how big was it? How long was it? What's, you know, uh, we don't know how long Mary was in labor. We don't know anything about that. We just know time came, boom, here comes the baby. She had the baby. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Uh, not remarkable, everybody wrapped their baby in swaddling cloths. They put diapers on their babies. She just did what a mother does with the baby in the circumstance. Uh, here's the baby, baby's born, cut the cord, uh, do what babies need, and, and, and that was it. Fully human. The instinct kicked in. She did what mothers do with little ones. Uh, there's an interesting analogy 
um, in Ezekiel 16, 4 through 7, that talks about the swaddling cloths. And it talks about the horror when a mother does not love or care for the baby with whom she's pregnant and even carries to term. Jesus is talking about what it was like for his people in Ezekiel. Listen to the horror of this. God's talking to his, his people. He says, as for your birth, on the day when you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And God says, but when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant in the field. Uh, Mary did the opposite. Mary took care of this divine little baby. God comes along and does for his people when they're not cared for. It's an analogy for what he did for you when he saved you. He came along. He did all these things that should be done spiritually, emotionally, and physically. You were cast out by this world. You were not wanted. You were treated wrongly. And God came along and saw you and took care of you. That analogy of the swaddling cloths, uh, you think about Mary then taking care of her baby. Think of the preparation. They had to plan ahead. Uh, this baby's coming. Do we have enough of this, of that? How do we take care of a baby? Two of us are heading down to Bethlehem. Three of us will be coming back. And it says she laid him in a manger. There was no place for him in the inn. Now in some of these, and I like these little Rankin-Bass stories. I like uh, Burl Ives doing Rudolph, and I like all that, and Little Drummer Boy, and all these things. It's kind of all fun part of the Christmas and, and our experience growing up. But I, I seem to remember one back when they were doing more Bible ones too. And that innkeeper got a bad rap. He didn't even let the baby stay there. And we picture this, you know, Ramada Inn or something and no room and all these selfish people in their rooms and making this pregnant woman uh, out there and give birth in a barn and all that stuff. Uh, you read about how it was like really in those days. And, and, and most likely this is a, a strong uh, misconception. Uh, it carries, somebody pointed out, it carries no great weight in the story. Like it doesn't pause after it says she laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And then there's not a whole five or six verses about don't be selfish like these people and no place. It just states that as a matter of fact. And you read about what was going on in those days. And most likely, uh, the Greek word is kataluma. It's a flexible word that can denote any kind of place where one might stay. Uh, that word could be from a primitive inn to a guest room of a house. And it's probably not an inn as we imagine it, or even a bed and breakfast. Uh, most likely, they're there, there's some distant relatives, they're staying in a house. And, you know, who wants a house full of people and then a pregnant woman giving birth when, when, when every room's occupied and there's sleeping bags on the floor and all that? Uh, who wants to give birth in that? Most of these houses had little places uh, 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 they pull the animals in at night. And, and so uh, some guy wrote this, and, and this was a good, good description. He said, the child could not be fitted in the Cataluma, the place where they were staying. So he was placed in a nearby manger. On this reading, it is best to think of an overcrowded, 
Palestinian peasant home, a single-roomed home with an animal stall under the same roof, frequently to be distinguished from the family living quarters only by the raised platform of the ladder. The manager could be, uh, the manger could be freestanding in the stall or attached to the wall. It could also be on the floor of the living area adjacent to the stall area, uh, but this would not fit with the exclusion of the child from the living quarters. Kataluma, dwelling place then, or in as we have it translated sometimes, will refer to the living quarters provided by a single-room home in which hospitality has been extended to Mary and Joseph. So baby Jesus wasn't out in some dirty stable that smelled like cow manure and, and all of that, and boy, he just got tossed there. No, they would have taken great care. I can imagine Joseph, boy, this is the boy that was promised. This is my stepson coming. This is the one Gabriel told me about. Ah, I bet that was a sterilized place. They cordoned it off for privacy. Look, we don't have a we don't have a, a little bed for him, but look at this manger. That will do. And they adapted to that, and they got it ready for him. And he was born in a place of love and privacy and taken care of. So it wasn't just a dirty old barn that the culture threw him out uh, into. He was born loved, and, and just like parents adapted, just like you did with your little babies. You found out what their needs were, and you took care of them. His needs were met. They were regular folks adapting. They were like us. They do what they can with what they have, and you don't see a hint of complaint in their lives. Someone said the only uh, one that, that really uh, pointed out what they call the paradox of divine condescension, the one who really, um, whether Jesus was laid in a, in a rich man's bed or a manger, the one who really condescended was Jesus who came down for us. Listen to Philippians 2. It says, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God came down, and the, the point of the manger is just he was well provided for by his mom and his stepdad. So we see the divine, we see the human. Having seen God's divine work behind the scenes in his birth, having taken a look at how Joseph and Mary adapted to their circumstances, the text goes back to the supernatural, the angelic annunciation. That's in verses 8 through 14. And there were the shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. David's origins, if you remember, this son of David who was going to be David's Lord, those origins were pastoral. They were, he was a shepherd. And here come the shepherds in Bethlehem. 1 Samuel 16, 11, Samuel says to Jesse, are all your sons here? He said, there remains the youngest, David, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. Notice in this account, and even in the Matthew account, uh, where the, 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 the wise men show up later, possibly even two years later. But in this account, there's no dignitaries to welcome him. Welcome to earth, Jesus. I am king so-and-so. And they're not all there uh, talking as leaders to leader. No worldly leaders there to pay homage. Jesus himself and the announcement to the shepherds. To you is born a savior, 
a soter, a savior. Here's the savior that's born. To you is born a savior. Uh, the same language used in Acts 5.31. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The savior who gives repentance. The shepherds needed maybe several things in their life, and they were hoping for several things, but what they needed is what you need and what I need. We need repentance, and we need forgiveness for our sins. And he is the leader and the Savior. Acts 13, 22, uh, they're talking, and in this sermon, uh, it says, And God raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. If Jesus is just a historical figure and not your Savior, you're in trouble. Unto us this day, unto you and me is born this day a Savior, Christ the Lord. Those who know about Jesus but don't know Jesus, who've never repented and don't have him as their Savior, are still in the same trouble. Of course, these shepherds were fearful. And then they were really fearful when the whole bunch of angels appeared after the first one came as the announcement. That was just kind of easing it in. That's just kind of like turning the little lamp on when you wake up in the morning uh, rather than all the, all the lights on and, and, and the noise and all that when you first wake up. Uh, they were afraid of when the angel came. And they listen and they adjusted to that. And then, boom, it lights up and all the angels are there. And what do these angels say? They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What John ended with in the text, and he read it this morning, was, and he shall be their peace. This is a comprehensive peace. Uh, this is shalom in the Old Testament. This isn't, I like to close my eyes and say a prayer for world peace, as somebody said in one of those movies. It's not world peace. It's not, um, it's not just a surfacey peace. This is a comprehensive peace. This word shalom and this peace that is, is promised is, is big. It's not a general pronouncement of peace in every sphere for every single person that's ever lived in this since their birth. It's not simply somebody wrote, it's not simply an inner disposition, like a, I've got a peaceful, easy feeling because I'm already on the ground. It's not that kind of a peace. The peace that they promised is something big and comprehensive that you, we can't even imagine. It evokes a whole social order of well-being and prosperity, security, and harmony. Yes, the world itself is better because Jesus was born. And even those who've gone on after they've exited this earth to an eternity without Christ have had something peaceful and something good in this earth because Jesus was born. This peace that he's talking about is the rightness that comes with God, being right with God, having sins forgiven, having, knowing what's 
coming and an explanation that even if we don't understand it all, we know God's behind it all. Something we read this week uh, in, in Packer's book, Knowing God. Listen to this, and I, I, I've read this a hundred times, and I, I guess, and, and never it didn't jump out to me like it did this week. See, if you, if you, if you believe this and, and, and grasp this, Packer said that God has blessed all people on the earth some of the time. God has blessed all people on the earth some of the time. If you've had one meal in your life, that's God giving you one meal. That's from God. God has blessed all people on the earth some of the time. Anybody who's ever, Christian or not, uh, gone outside and, and, and in, in the autumn and has just been overwhelmed by the beauty of things has been blessed by God. God has blessed all people on the earth some of the time, but he blesses some people all of the time. His people, his chosen, his repentant ones who've, who've, who've been right, made right with him through Jesus Christ. God has blessed all people on the earth some of the time, but some people, and I would say you, Christian, he's blessed all the time. And that's the peace that is promised here. Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace with those among those with whom he is pleased. Those whom he's pleased. He's not pleased with every single person right now on this earth. There are some things going on even as we speak around the world, and God is not pleased with those people. Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Hebrews uh, 11.6, without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And every person on this earth is either with God or is opposed to God uh, in their life, in their heart, even in maybe not within their mouth that they say, well, I like God, I'm a Christian, I'm, uh, God's okay. Um, but they're not living it, they're not repentant, they're not trusting in him. And a person is either with God and God is pleased with that person or a person is opposed to God. Peter opened his mouth to Cornelius in, in Acts, talking about this. He said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That peace and that being acceptable to God are intertwined, and the angels put it together even in the announcement. Be right with God. The word for pleasure, being pleased. Uh, here's, a, here's a quote. Even when used alone is to be referred to the good pleasure of God. To be of God's good pleasure, to be men and women with whom God is pleased, is to be established in a favored relationship with him in which his mercy and power are experienced through his faithfulness to the covenant. The Lucan text then reflects a semi-technical Semitic expression referring to God's people and having overtones of election and of God's active initiative in extending his favor. Uh, that word there, anthropoid eudokius, means 
uh, people with whom he's pleased, means among the people whom God has favored. And the angels announced this, that Jesus came to bring peace to you. If you're rattled, if you're at war, if you're violently unsettled, you might be tempted to say the angels lied. What do you mean, peace on earth, goodwill to men? There's no peace on earth. Oh, I look at the paper and all there is is fighting and war and, and bad things. But maybe there's another possibility. It may mean that you are at war with God, hence you are at war with the world. Uh, that old cliche that says, no Jesus, no peace. And then it says, no Jesus, K-N-O-W, no Jesus. Then you know peace, even in a world that is not peaceful yet. So the pattern has been divine, human, divine. And now we're back to human. And we see as we wrap up these reactions of the shepherds to this annunciation and that human adoration. The shepherds did what you and I would have done. The angels went away from them to heaven. The shepherds said, let's go see what's going on. Uh, maybe they left one or two people with the sheep. Uh, I would have fought to have not been left with the sheep. Boy, Sheep can take care of themselves. I want to go see what these angels are talking about. And they fled over there to find this baby that was laying in that manger. Maybe they heard him by his cries. Maybe they found him that way. Is there a newborn here? Uh, somehow uh, they went and they found out where he lay. They went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And of course Mary and Joseph were there with the baby. And that might have looked just like a, a regular little kid to them. You know, we have these songs. We didn't sing any of those this morning, but the ones that talk about radiant beams from God's holy face. You see the paintings, and they've got a little halo around them. Uh, this baby didn't have that. We asked the kids a couple weeks ago in, in Sunday school, did Jesus cry? Did Jesus have dirty diapers? You know, did Jesus, he was a baby. He ate. He, as he got older, his fingernails grew. He had a body like ours. He, however, they cut fingernails in those days. He had to have his fingernails cut. He, he, he got hungry. He got thirsty. He was a human, fully human. And he was a human baby. How did he look? Cutest baby you ever saw? Well, every baby you ever see is the cutest baby you ever see at that time. They're just cute. But Jesus was not that says there was nothing about him, uh, the song that sometimes we sing, No Crying He Makes. No, he cried to let him know he was hungry or needed his diaper changed. They found him, and they knew something about him, and the Spirit was at work in them, and they saw him. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told uh, them concerning the child. And everybody is listening, and the people in that house uh, where he was born, in that, that manger secluded... The shepherds are in. What are they doing here? What did you hear about that? These angels and the word spread, and people are thinking and they're talking about this. What is it about this kid? What they've heard from the angels, and now what they've seen with their eyes, and what God's doing in their hearts, they've been converted from the ordinary to the divine perspective. And what happened? What happened to you? when you were living your life and all of a sudden 
you heard. Maybe you heard it as a remembrance of, of a sermon you heard, or maybe you heard it by reading the scriptures. You heard, and your eyes were opened, and you were converted. And what did you do? You praised God. You're saved. You're a Christian. God has reached down and saved you and snatched you, picked you up like in that Ezekiel verse, cleaned you off, and adopted you into his family. They've heard and they've seen, and their hearts have been converted from the ordinary to the divine. And they praise God, just as the angels praise God, just as we praise God for his salvation for us. And the pattern is this, and it's been the pattern from the beginning. You hear, you see, you believe, and then you tell. Go tell it on the mountain what God's done for you. And this morning as we move to the Lord's table, by way of application, there's one person in here in this verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And I would just say as your pastor, as a person who gets busy with task-oriented, who's studied the Bible as a textbook and been tested on it, uh, who's grown up with it, maybe you grew up, you know, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Seven times seven is 49. You mix red and blue, you get purple. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Uh, you go this way, it's north, this way, the opposite is south. And it's just a factoid that's in your brain as a truth, and you accept it as truth, just like all these things are truth, but it's not impacting. This is the truth that you need to ponder and think about. And I just challenge you and me and all of us to meditate a little more, to find time to turn things off or turn things on as need be. To, to look at your scriptures as you read them and think about them and ponder them in your heart. What is true? What is really real in this fallen world? What's more real? What's heavier and weightier? And I'm telling us the spiritual has much more weight than the material and the physical. And we can get so weighed down and slogged down with events in this world, maybe maybe not world events, maybe our life is too uh, messy and, and, and complicated right now that just even the, 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 the immediate gets us. But there is more than just that. When Jesus came back, when he was, after he died on the cross for his people's sins and he rose, uh, conquered death and rose from the grave and he was walking around, Jesus was heavier and weightier. The disciples would be in these rooms locked in because they didn't know if they were coming after them like they did Jesus. And Jesus would walk through the wall. He was a physical being, but he was heavier and weightier than the physical things they knew. I think it was C.S. Lewis who compared it to like a, a stone you throw into the water. And the water is, is a substance, but that stone is even heavier and weightier than that. So one substance conquers the other substance. I'm telling us and reminding us the spiritual and what's going on spiritually is so much weightier and so much stronger and so much more eternal than this stuff that can bog us down.
And I'm saying treasure all of it. Treasure up these things. If there's an opportunity to, to, to read your Bible, read your Bible. If there's an opportunity to, to hear somebody proclaiming God's word, proclaim it. If there's an opportunity to worship, go to worship. Uh, treasure these things and ponder them and see if down the road uh, what Jesus said was true. Store up your treasures in heaven uh, where moth and rust don't corrupt. Pray for opportunities. Don't give up on those loved ones you have who are not going to church. Don't give up on that. Pray for those people. Understand that spiritually God can work the same way God worked in the lives of these leaders to, to adjust things. He can work. Don't lose your faith. Trust in the providential God. God moves governments. Trust in that God. Do your ordinary things like Mary and Joseph did with that baby. You know, pay your bills. Do your work. Keep your house clean. Uh, answer your emails from those loved ones and, and those people. Just do your ordinary stuff. Respond to the circumstances that come and do the ordinary. Then listen for those angelic announcements and think about what those angels had to say about peace and, and say, I want real peace. And then do what those shepherds did and go and see Jesus and tell and, and confirm and keep visiting uh, your faith and your position as a Christian. I'm a Christian. How does a Christian live? How does a Christian think? What does a Christian do? What does one who's been called by God do? Uh, I'm called by God to be a part of Christ the Shepherd Church in Danbury. How does that affect how I live and, and, and interact? And then take your time and treasure these things and ponder them in your heart. And let's just see what God is going to continue to do in our lives as we live for him this year. Let's pray. Thank you, God for this text. Thank you for baby Jesus. Thank you for uh, the mission with which Jesus was born. Thank you that Jesus uh, grew up tempted but not sinning. Thank you that Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Thank you for the story of Christmas and the story of Easter and the story of, of the return uh, that's coming. And help us now as your people commit to think deeply about spiritual things. Lord, we pray for those loved ones we have, lost and on their way to hell. And we pray that you would work in their lives. Help us to never stop praying, never stop, uh, never give up on, on them and on what you can do in their lives. And we pray for salvation uh, for those dear ones we love. In Jesus' name, amen.
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And in giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread, drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning uh, the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Uh, it's for Christians that we get to celebrate his birth today. It's for people who are trusting in Christ for their salvation. People who are members in good standing in any gospel preaching, proclaiming church. Let's pray and set these elements aside for God's use. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus' real flesh, his real body, his real blood. Thank you that he was uh, fully or perfectly human and at the same time fully and perfectly God. We thank you for the mission that he was born uh, to do. Thank you that he completed that mission. Thank you for what it means for those of us who've been given eternal peace, real shalom. Thank you, God, for, for Jesus' uh, sacrificial death on our behalf. Lord, thank you for these elements. We set them aside for your use in our life today. We know that uh, they don't become uh, Jesus' body and blood. We know that uh, there's no saving grace in them, but there is um, a reason why you told us to do this until the return. And so we pray that you would uh, take these elements, physical elements, bless them to our spiritual good as we partake. In Jesus' name, amen.